Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, this is the fifth Sunday of Easter, and it's the uh, continuation of our series, Body of Evidence. Now, we, we talked about the fact that Easter is not a single day holiday. That might be a Western worldview, but it's not a Christian worldview. According to church history and Christian tradition, Easter is celebrated over eight weeks, a celebration that starts on resurrection and runs all the way through Pentecost 50 days later. So resurrection and Easter is far too big to simply be limited to 1,440 minutes. It's too significant. And so we're looking in this series, and we're coming to appreciate the very life and presence of Jesus. Not just the fact that he was crucified, not just the fact that he was resurrected, though those things are really significant to our faith. But we actually are also celebrating the very life and presence of Jesus, that he's alive. And in this series, Body of Evidence, we're placing some place markers Uh, in our lives and in our world to try to look for the presence, not of us, but of Jesus. Where do we see the living Christ today, alive and well, in our world? In John's gospel, Jesus said this, John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. So Jesus here does not say, I will be resurrected and I will bring life. He actually attributes resurrection and life to him. He says, that's my nature. I am resurrection And I am life. And what we often think about salvation is that salvation is Jesus in us, and it is. But it's also us living in Jesus. Salvation is also us believing in him and living in him. And as we do that, we then experience something significant in our hearts, something that is still happening today. Something that still points to the living Christ. It's the fourth evidence we're going to talk about here in a few moments. But before we do, let's revisit the evidence that we've collected thus far in this body of evidence. The first evidence we talked about was that the body of Christ is perhaps the most compelling evidence that Jesus' presence is still here on earth today. The church, throughout Scripture, more than any other thing, is referred to as the body of Christ, which means that Jesus still has a physical presence. The church is responsible to contain and then to give out and dispense the very life and the presence of Jesus, and that we do collectively universally, when we gather in his name. 
The second evidence we talked about was unity, but not just unity, but diverse unity. Diverse unity is not minimizing or ignoring our differences. Diverse unity is leaning into them and celebrating them and honoring them and respecting them as making us stronger and better because we need those differences. And listen, you, you and I are not going to experience diverse un, uh, unity through politics or legislation or even religion cannot produce that. The only thing that produces that kind of unity is the spirit of Jesus because it's how he lives. It's what he burrs and breathes uh, through our, uh, the, the body of Christ. And then last weekend, we talked about a third evidence. That evidence is love. Every time people experience love, people experience God. And when we talk about love, we're not talking about a mushy, gushy sort of emotion. The kind of emotion that ignores issues or problems. We're not talking about the kind of love that that lives in illusion, but rather a love that lives very much in reality. A love that stands on the side of justice, does not turn a blind eye to mistreatment of others. In fact, this kind of love is a kind of love that actually welcomes being misunderstood. It welcomes being mistreated. Because this kind of love does not really entertain a false peace and encourage false peace, but rather it disrupts false peace in order to obtain God's peace and righteousness. Now, I said this last weekend, but I want to say it again. In fact, I think it would be good for us to remind ourselves of this every day of our lives. We are only as Christian as when we love our enemies and those who mistreat us. In fact, let me go one step further. We cannot say that we are followers of Christ unless we follow Christ in the way he loved. And how did he love? Well, he actually tells us how he loved. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard it said... Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What's that mean? That means every time we follow Jesus in the way he loved, we actually become identified as his child. So last weekend I spoke to... uh, KKK-affiliated group that is holding a rally downtown on Courthouse Square this coming Saturday. And I believe that the two most appropriate responses of followers of Christ are these. To love and to pray. That's what Jesus said. To love and to pray. Because we never go wrong when we simply love those who are enemies because our fight is not flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers, forces of darkness, 
in high places. There is a spirit behind that rally that is not of God. But those people are not our enemy. Now, we may be theirs because we are on the side and we believe fully in diverse unity. We celebrate our diversity. But the reality is we need to pray and we need to love. So next Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 25th, we are holding a one-hour prayer gathering from 11 to 12 here at our church. And we would invite you, if your schedule would permit you to come, to join us for all or even just a portion of that prayer gathering, we would invite you to do that. The information is in your handout this morning. And I think one of the most important things we can do before that rally ever takes place is we as the body of Christ can gather together as Jesus' physical presence on earth. And we can declare him as Lord and Savior over our city. And so we want to invite you to join us and be a part of that with us. Now this morning we come to um, a fourth evidence. It's an evidence that some of you here have heard this term. In fact, you may have a vague understanding of what this means, but it's really profound. It's really significant. And it is a, an evidence that Jesus is still alive and he still is very much present here on the earth today. The fourth evidence I want to talk about in this series is new birth. New birth. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear that term, but this morning we're going to unpack that a little bit theologically. We're going to make some sense out of really how significant this is in Scripture and why this points to the fact that Jesus Christ is still very much alive and well here on the earth today. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me frame it with these words. Give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a living hope. This hope is living because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He has given us new birth so that we might share in what belongs to him. Now, growing up as a child um, in a Roman Catholic home, I got very used to seeing, very accustomed to seeing a crucifix. And I, I'll never forget how vividly I was impacted the first time I walked into a Protestant church and I saw a cross that was bodiless. And I remember even inquiring about, like, where's Jesus, right? Because when you grow up and that's all you ever associate with the cross, you expect to see it. And here's the reality. Theologically, we need both. Because without the bloody cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. But without the vacated cross and the vacated tomb, there is no life. We get new life and new hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible says he then offers to us this what's called a new birth that is filled with life and is filled with hope. Now, new birth 
is often confused with religious conversion. And the two are not synonymous. So when somebody has what they may call a conversion, it means that they have changed their opinion about a religion or a faith. They have had a mental and an intellectual shift in the way they think about something, about God, about the church, about that particular religion, about their faith construct, about their position. But that is not new birth. New birth is not something that happens in the mind. New birth is something that happens in the human heart. Where you can be religiously converted by changing your mind, changing your thinking. New birth means that it will involve your intellect, your emotion, and your will. Everything will have to change. And and here's the reality. When you come to Scripture... The Bible has no place, and you will not really find the idea and the word conversion. It's not even a biblical word. But what is very biblical is this idea of new birth. That is the idea that Jesus came to bring. He came to present. God wanted to make sure we understood what was happening in new birth. And here's the tragedy. There are people... Some that are churchgoers faithfully who have been converted but have never experienced new birth. Because the new birth involves not just the way we think. It is not just a religious change of mind or opinion. It is a spiritual transformation. It changes everything about you. And it changes everything about the way that you choose to live out your life. And so there are a number of things I want to unpack here this morning for us. And I'm just going to ask you to stay with me. Because this can feel a little theologically dense, but it is very significant we get this, what's happening. Understanding new birth means that we actually have to go to a very unusual place this time of year. To understand new birth, we've got to begin with Jesus' birth. Easter and Christmas are not two separated holidays. They are very much connected. And what we've got to understand is this. Jesus' birth was a new birth. Humanity had never experienced anything like it. No one before and no one since has ever had an experience like Jesus' birth. Because, and I'll take us back to biology 101 right now, okay? Human conception involves and requires male seed. But that was not true of Jesus. His birth was a new birth. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Now, put yourself in her place. I'm not so sure she was as confused and disturbed 
by seeing the angel as she was by what he said to her. I mean, think about it. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord, and, and then it says, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So she's logically trying to figure this out. What's going on here? And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, if he had stopped there, I would assume it would have been a good day for Mary. Like, can you imagine the emotional rush and high of walking around and telling your friends as a teenage virgin girl, betrothed, engaged to be married, that the Lord is with me, that I'm highly favored, that God has seen me and, and the Lord is, is going to bless me. But the angel doesn't stop there. He says, you will conceive. And you'll give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. Notice the specificity of this conception. This was unlike any conception that had ever taken place. In fact, it was humanly implausible. Like, it, it, it just doesn't happen. Because what Mary is being asked to do here is she is being asked to agree with God and to carry the life of Jesus and bring him to bear here on the earth. Wouldn't you agree that was a big ask? But that's exactly what the Lord is asking Mary to do. Verses 34, 35. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, now notice this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Here's the question. What made this child holy? What made this child Jesus holy was that it didn't involve human seed. Now this is really important. Because ever since the fall of man, every time man has reproduced, man has provided tainted seed, sinful seed. Which means every one of us, according to Scripture, are conceived in sin. But that was not true of Jesus. Jesus was conceived by and of the Holy Spirit. And that birth changed absolutely everything. Not just about his life here on earth, but about the fact that Jesus' life was going to continue to live here on earth. So fast forward now with me. Some 33 years later, Jesus is actually preparing for his crucifixion. John's Gospel, chapter 12. Listen to what he says. What I'm about to tell you is true. Unless a grain falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Here, here's what Jesus is actually saying was going to happen. 
He was saying this, I have had contained in me since my conception a holy seed, the seed of God. But once I die, that seed is not going to die. That seed is actually going to multiply. And what was one seed is now going to become a multitude of seeds because when I emerge back from death to life, something's going to happen. The very life of God that was planted in me is now going to be planted in everyone who puts their trust in me. The Holy Spirit that conceived me is now going to continue to conceive me in the hearts of every person who believes. The soil of the human heart, not a mother's womb, was going to become the place where the seed of the Holy Spirit would be planted over and over and over. Here's the reality. The resurrection enabled Jesus to be born again and again and again and again. Now that is not how we think of new birth. That is not how we think of being born again. What we think being born again means that we all of a sudden have something happen to us that changes our position in God. Like, we're set up for eternity, but it isn't all about that. Oh, it's included, but that's not really what it's about. Being born again is as much about Jesus as it is about us. It's as much about what he was going to do and continue to do here on earth over and over again in the hearts of people who believe, people who place their trust in him. And it was really important. So I want you now to juxtapose the, the story of Mary with this other story we're going to look at. It's the story of Nicodemus. It provides us a great illustration of what I'm talking about this morning, about new birth. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Jesus was fairly early here in his public ministry. And the Bible says there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was one of the Jewish rulers. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who came from God. We know that God is with you. If he weren't, you couldn't do the signs that you are doing. Jesus replied, what I'm about to tell you is true. No one can see God's kingdom unless they are born again. In other words, no one can see God's kingdom unless they, for themselves, you Nicodemus, unless you experience this new birth. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying every person who is born is alive, but not every person who is alive really lives. Because if you are going to really live the way God intends, you're going to have to experience not one, but two births. The first birth, which gave you your physical life, which experienced you experienced in that moment God's life being breathed into you, that's an important birth. But for us to experience the life of Jesus in us, there has to be a second birth. 
And he says, unless you experience this new birth, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty profound. Because here, in essence, is what Jesus is warning Nicodemus of. Here it is. If you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you will die once. That is the essence of the message of the new birth. That's the invitation God gives to us with new birth. Not just conversion. Not just changing our opinion about things but rather allowing the seed of God to be planted in us by the Holy Spirit. When that happens, we will only die once. But if we are only born once, we'll die twice. We'll die physically and we'll die spiritually in separation from God. He goes on to say this, verses 4 through verse 6. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? They can't go back inside their mother. They can't be born a second time. Jesus answered, what I'm about to tell you is true. No one can enter God's kingdom unless they are born of both water and the Holy Spirit. Now notice what he says. People give birth to people. Right? Humans birth humans. Humans reproduce after their own kind. And guess what? That conception, no matter how beautiful it is, is tainted. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. There is something profoundly supernatural that happens the moment we place our faith and trust in God. The moment we come to Christ and say, I put my faith, my trust in you, not myself. I'm not just simply mentally shifting what I think about you, God, but I am giving you my my intellect, my emotion, and my will. I am giving my life over to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising to newness of life for me. And by the Holy Spirit, there is a conception that happens in us just like happened in Mary. The seed of the Holy Spirit is planted, and we now become the ones who are responsible to carry and bear in our lives the life and presence of Jesus. Your and my highest vocation in this life as Christ followers is to actually carry and bear the life and presence of Jesus through us. Listen to how Jesus responds, verses 7 and 8. You shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. It is the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus was he was trying to help Nicodemus see what had happened in his own birth and conception. But this time, it's not human. It's supernatural. I think the most significant thing as we round out this talk today 
is to, to go back and revisit Mary one final time. Because what strikes me as so significant about Mary is her response to this invitation from God. The reality is this. Before Mary could ever conceive, she had to first receive God's invitation. We do not conceive of the Holy Spirit in us if we don't respond to God's invitation to us. And Mary's response is striking to me, especially considering the optics of it. A young Jewish virgin girl betrothed to be married who becomes pregnant before her wedding takes place would have been a scandal of epic proportions in the first century. And yet Mary agrees. Here's what it says back in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 38. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. When we receive this new birth, this new conception, it actually involves, again, intellect, emotion, and will. And what Mary is employing here is her will. Mary's response to God is a response that we are each invited to have when it comes to the new birth. Because new birth does not happen without receiving God's invitation. And once we receive God's invitation, there is a planting in our heart, in the the, the human soil of our soul, the very presence of God. But here's the question for us this morning that I want you to consider. Are you willing? Are you willing to allow the person of Jesus to be born in you? To be born through you? To be lived out of your life? Are you willing to say with Mary, whatever you desire of me, Lord, I'm willing. I asked my wife this morning for permission to read from her journal an entry that actually speaks to this very issue. She wrote about this and shared it with me as she knew I was going to be speaking on this. And I want to, I want to just share this with you with her permission. And I won't read it all, but let me just read an excerpt from it. My soul magnifies the Lord because he is making me into a useful vessel that he desires. So my soul will magnify the Lord when my daughter is unfaithful and unattached because he is molding her and me and us. He is working in us in a way that we could never fully understand. My soul magnifies the Lord in breast cancer treatment because he expanded my world to enter the pain and fear of others. My soul magnifies the Lord when I hear the slowing heartbeat of my unborn granddaughter 
because we were to experience the struggle of the pain of a decision to terminate a pregnancy to preserve the life of our daughter or lose our daughter to save this precious child. Healing was granted while simultaneously death, grief, and loss was born. My soul magnifies the Lord because we have the hope of heaven and the peace of earth and the understanding of an empty crib. Jesus, you continue to expand my soul through these unexpected circumstances of life. You continue to expand my capacity to love and gently silence me when I elevate myself to judge. My soul will magnify the Lord because you are birthing something in me. Childbirth is painful. Pregnancy is tiring. But through this process, there is life. So thank you, Lord, for the things that I would have never asked for. Thank you that you've considered me worthy and highly favored to carry your son into this life and to present him to the world. Here's my question for you this morning. Into what circumstance is God asking you to carry the person of Jesus and to bear his presence in this life? Where is he wanting to use your life through the new birth to bring his presence and make it visible and manifest so that everyone can see that Jesus Christ still lives? I'm going to invite you to stand this morning with me. There are one of two responses that we're going to have this morning. Either your heart has moved in openness to God and receptivity to God to say, Lord, I want to be that vessel. I want my response to be like Mary's, whatever, Lord, it is that you desire of me. I will choose to carry your son. The other response is perhaps one of resistance. And there could be a number of things that would create that in our hearts today. But this morning, I'm going to invite us to just bow our heads, close our eyes, quiet our hearts. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to take the soil of your heart. And I'm going to ask you to present it to God. He is still looking for soil where his seed can be planted, the seed of his spirit. And every time he finds a soil that is good and ready and open, the seed of his spirit is planted. That's about an eyes closed. This morning, if you're here in this place and you don't know and understand perhaps everything about new birth or what we spoke about today, but you do know that you need new birth. You, you recognize this morning that you have not been born again by the Spirit of God. Maybe you've been converted, but 
But there's something deeper God is inviting you to today. If that's you with your head bowed and eyes closed, we want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and let me see it this morning if that's you. And we want to just pray for God to touch you this morning, to speak to you, to plant his spirit and bring transformation to you this morning. As I be prepared to pray, would you place yourself in a posture that makes you present with God? Whatever that may look like for you, would you place yourself in a position where you are inviting God to come and to, to speak to your heart right now, to do something inside of you by way of transformation? Father, this is a mystery, this new birth. I don't pretend to understand everything about it. But what I do thank you for is that your word makes it clear that you were not born just once. You have been born millions and millions and millions of times. You have literally been born again. As people have accepted, placed their trust in you, and by the Holy Spirit, you have planted the seed of Jesus inside of us. Thank you for this second birth that we can experience that can transform us from the inside out. That that's where it takes place first is internally. God, as I think of Mary, and I think of her agreement with what you were asking, think about the incredible courage it took for her to step out and to make herself available to you, God. To say, I will willingly carry the life and presence of God's Son on this earth. And that's what you're inviting each of us to do today. To have the same courage that Mary had to say, may people see Jesus in me and every time that Jesus Christ is manifest through my values, through my decisions, through my choices, through the way that I love, for the way that I live, People are experiencing Jesus on this earth. It is proof positive that you're alive. And so, God, I pray this morning for each of our hearts. Take them, mold them, shape them. And whatever circumstance you are inviting and calling us to carry the presence of Jesus, may, may we be found faithful. May we not be negligent or derelict in our responsibilities to you, God. And thank you that we cannot receive you without your grace. The grace that finds us highly favored. That finds us favored by God. So bless us, I pray. Speak to our hearts. Grow us into the image of your Son, here on this earth, I pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.